Um, many of you, you already know this, but we are, I don't know if you want to call it, we're right in the middle of a campaign. We're right in the middle of starting a campaign um, to raise funds, to expand our campus, to build a much-needed Kids World building. You've probably heard about it, especially if you've been a part of our church for any time at all. And you've heard in the announcements already today, big commitment Sunday coming. It's only a couple weeks away. And so as a church family that are in the middle of this and praying, seeking God, how in the world can I be involved? Will I be involved with something like this, this exciting kingdom building project? Um, We knew we were in this moment. And so the campaign team and I said, you know what we need to do? This This is a big deal. We need to take a couple weeks prior to the 17th, and we just need to dive into God's word in a very specific way, in a way that's really going to help us, bless us, in, in the moment in which we find ourselves, to seek wisdom for this incredible moment um, as a church, as believers, as parents, as, as grandparents, um, brothers and sisters, as a body, because we, we've been tasked with something huge. I don't know if that's hit you yet. It's not just the excitement of, oh, this is cool, the church is growing, and there's this thing that needs to happen, but God is, is calling us and stewarding us with these kids. We've got to steward these kids well. We've got to figure out what are we going to do. And so we're going to need some encouragement along the way as he's called us to be this light to our community in which we live. And so with that said, here's what I want to do, because I'm, if I was sitting where you're sitting and you hear a pastor start off like that, you're like, oh, great. That means two weeks of there, he's going to be pounding on us about giving money and he's going to try to make us feel guilty and all these things. That's what I would think. If I were you guys, I think after based on what I just said, that might be where your brains go. I just want to put you at ease and promise you that is nowhere close to what uh, these next two weeks are going to be about. Instead, we literally, what I want to do, I want to just go to God's word, draw wisdom from his word as it relates to what we're about to embark on. But I promise you that these two sermons that we're going to spend time together uh, listening to and being a part of, uh, you, you wouldn't even have to be in the middle of a campaign and, and you would still be able to get so much good out of it because it's coming from the Word of God and not coming uh, from me. So as we thought about this, we're like, what scripture? I begin to think, what, what scripture should we go to? Where should we draw this wisdom from? Um, and so I kind of went to some of the campaign team and I was like, man, what would you think? What, what would you say? And we began to talk about it. And the book of Nehemiah, or the story of Nehemiah, uh, came up, and we began to kind of discuss that a little bit, and, uh, and I agreed with them that, man, that is a perfect place for us to start. I know that our church, and this is a good thing, this is not a bad thing, our church is everything from someone who maybe became a believer yesterday, all the way to someone who's been a believer for 80 years. And so we've got lots of different uh, people in, on their spiritual journey. And so some of you may be sitting there going, I didn't even know there was a book of Nehemiah. Is, are you being serious? Is there a book called that? And yes, there is one. Others of you are like, I know it's in there, but I'm ashamed to say I've never read it. Others of you are saying, I read it, but it's been a long time. Do not quiz me on it. I have no idea. I can't remember what it was about. And then there may be somewhere in between where you're like, I kind of know the story. It's just going to be good for all of us, no matter where we are, when we hear Nehemiah or the book of Nehemiah, for us to kind of get a little context, a little overall look um, at what it is and what it's about. And then what I want to do is pull a few things from it. It's 13 chapters. We're not reading the whole book of Nehemiah today, I promise. We could spend 13 weeks if we wanted to easily on this one book. But for today, I more or less kind of want to do a 30,000-foot view, and we're going to grab a few things out of it uh, and how it kind of pertains to where we are as a church right now and hopefully walk away some, with some really good nuggets of things to listen to, to think about, 
and apply to our own lives. So quickly, about Nehemiah. Nehemiah, if you don't know, he is a Jew. He is living uh, among the Jewish exiles in Persia. If you don't know your history, or at least your biblical history, Persia was formerly Babylonia. Babylon at one point kind of took over and destroyed a whole bunch of stuff, took a bunch of Jews away, and then eventually Persia uh, succeeded them. And so Nehemiah uh, is here in, in what is called Persia, formerly Babylonia. He is uh, he's going to get permission from the king at this time, which is the king of Persia, King Artaxerxes. He's going to go to Jerusalem. I'm kind of spoiling the story, but I, it, you'll understand why we're doing this in a minute. Um, he's going he's gonna to lead this rebuilding of the city walls. And we also are going to find out that Nehemiah is a man who prays a lot. He is a man of prayer. This, again, 13 chapters, 12 times in this book, Nehemiah prays. So he is a praying man. We're going to see it today. Even in the, We're going to read all of chapter 1. Don't worry. It's only 11 verses. Don't freak out on me yet. But in that 11, those 11 verses, a lot of that is his prayer. It's one of the longest prayers he prays in this book. But he's serving in the palace of the Persian king, Artaxerxes, as what is called his cupbearer. That's not a job too many of us have have today, right? Uh, so let me explain a little bit about a cupbearer. First of all, it's actually a position of honor. Sometimes it gets labeled differently than I think it should. It really was a, a position of honor, a very prestigious rank in the royal court of the king. Yes, part of his job meant that especially in times of like war or turmoil, uh, and they knew maybe somebody might be out to get the king, it was his job to first drink uh, the, the cup of the king, like his wine or his whatever his food is, he would taste his food before the king would. So basically, if there was anybody trying to poison the king, it would take them out, not the king. So uh, that was part of his job, but it was more than just someone who taste-tested the food before the king. Um, he was this, it was this high position of honor because you had to, your cupbearer was someone you trusted and somebody that had access, direct access to the king like nobody else. He was an advisor to the king, someone that assisted the king in all kinds of different trusted matters. And so uh, that's why a lot of times, if you really research it, they wouldn't even have to try the, the, the drink before they gave it to the king because the king was okay with, hey, listen, I trust you. I know if it's coming from you and you know where it came from, I'm good. And so there's a lot more to this than just, oh, he would taste things before the king would taste things. Now, we don't know how Nehemiah got that position, right? We, we, we just don't know. Um, but we do know that is where he's serving at this time. He's, in, he's living in Persia, cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. Again, he's born and raised in Persia. This is important to know. And that's why I'm giving you this background because of where we're going today. The Jewish exiles were allowed to return uh, to Jerusalem. That was about 100 years before this, okay? So you need to know that. So Nehemiah is born and raised in Persia. This is, he does not know about Israel. You've you got to go back. You've got to kind of get yourself in biblical times. He does not know about Israel. He's never been there. He's never seen Jerusalem. He has no idea how the exiles are doing living in Jerusalem since they returned back. So there's no Facebook, there's no internet, there's no pictures, there's no way for him to know what it looks like or what's going on. You don't get in a car and drive down there and check it out. So he's never been there before, so he has no clue about that. That is, until what we're going to read today, he gets word from his brother and a few other men who've been there, who've been down to Judah, and they have come back to report to Nehemiah the condition of the people and the city in Jerusalem. And when Nehemiah hears this report, we're going to see this today. He is just absolutely heartbroken. He is absolutely heartbroken. And that kind of sets the stage for chapter 1 
Uh, and we're going we're gonna to read again chapter 1. Again, it's only 11 verses. But I want us to see his reaction to the news about the condition of the Jews living in Jerusalem. I want you to pay attention to that. I'll even probably stop once or twice, ask you guys to underline a few things. So if you're not there yet, go ahead and go to Nehemiah chapter 1 if you would like to follow along that way. And we're going to read these first 11 verses. And then I just want to spend some time with you talking about them. This is what it says. It says, The words of Nehemiah, son, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Han and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah and some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. That's the first part I would love for you to underline if you do that in your Bibles. Uh, they are in great trouble and disgrace. We're going to talk about that a lot today. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept for some days. I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws that you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations, which he had done. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them and there and I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name, which he's talking about Israel. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. So chapter 1, right, opens up with Nehemiah being devastated. It says here he's literally weeping. And I, and I just want to say this because I don't know why, but sometimes, especially men, they hear that and they're like, oh, gosh, he was one of those mamby-pamby guys weeping all the time, crying all the time. That is, that is not who Nehemiah was at all. And if you read chapter 1, you may think that. But if you read the whole book, trust me, by the time you get to chapter 13, he's beating people up and pulling their hair out. He's, he's frustrated with them. I'm not saying we should emulate that part of Nehemiah. But he's anything but some, you know, wussy guy that you might think of, okay? That's not who this guy is. He is a, he is a godly man. He is a, prayerful, a man of prayer. But he also is obviously a very emotional person, and, and he cares so much. And, and so we see here, he's weeping. But why is he weeping? He's weeping over the news he hears about the condition of the Jews who had returned to Jerusalem. Again, just that verse, verse 3. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. And those are key words. Again, great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Now again, I'm going to give you some more context here so we can truly understand what's happening, what's going on. Nebuchadnezzar, this is more history. You need to know this or you're not going to be able to relate. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he conquered Jerusalem in 586 B.C., when he did that, he destroyed Jerusalem. 
rubble is what was left, right? He destroyed the temple, left the city in rubble. He then took the Jews, thousands of them, into captivity to Babylonia. The Babylonians then are succeeded by uh, the Persians. And when the king of Persia, uh, King Darius, comes to the throne, he tells the Jews, listen, what was done to you is wrong. You are free to go. You don't have to go, but you are free to go back to your land if you want to. And what that does is then it launches into these a couple different big waves of moments where Jews return back to uh, Israel. The first one is under uh, the leadership of a man named Zerubbabel. He leads about 50,000 Jews back to Jerusalem. The second wave is led by Ezra, and he leads another group of about 1,800 men, um, which you have to add in. There would have been women and children with him as well. So probably around three to 5,000 other Jews back uh, to Israel as well. The second wave, the one with Ezra, it occurs about 15 years prior to this, this moment we're reading about now in Nehemiah. But the first wave was about 100 years before Nehemiah. So the first wave of people have been back in Israel for about 100 years. And that's important. You'll see why in just a second. When King Darius gives this order, again, for the Jews that want to go back can go back, Nehemiah and his family happen to be among those who chose to stay in Persia. So that's why he's still there. So that's why he's never been to Israel. He's never seen Israel. He only understands the condition of the people by the way of the word that he gets from his brother and these guys who visited. So when the Jews return uh, to, to Jerusalem, they are returning to, you, maybe some of you can relate to this, possibly by hurricane or you've been in some other uh, horrible storm or something's happened to your home, you've lived through a fire, but you return back and you see that there's nothing left. They return back to Jerusalem and they see that it's just rubble. And that's what they have to start with. So especially the first wave of people. And so they have to go back to reestablish everything. And the Bible tells us in the book of Ezra, the first thing they rebuild is the altar to the Lord. Now, even before the temple, they rebuild the altar because they want to get serious and prioritize their worship of God. So that's a good thing. And if you remember back then, there's the sacrificial system uh, to make atonement for their sins. It was the only way for them to be forgiven prior to the cross. And so this is really important to them and in their the world that they were, they were living in at this time. So they build the altar. Then they do build the temple. The temple is finished at the time uh, of Nehemiah. But apparently the city of Jerusalem itself is still in shambles. They have not started to rebuild it at all. They're quite, I guess, content to even... Uh, they've built their, their homes outside of the city walls. And they're content to walk over these piles of rubble to get to the temple. So when the word gets to Nehemiah about the condition of the city, this is where it starts to hit home when you start putting things together. Nehemiah realizes that the broken condition of the city is really representative of the broken condition of their lives. They're still not, even though they're physically back where they want to be, emotionally, spiritually, they're not back to where they need to be. And this is why his prayer in chapter 1, he is confessing sin He's, because he realizes the reason why the people are not have not properly rebuilt the city was because their lives were broken. And when your lives are broken, you, you don't repair the things that are broken around you. So Nehemiah spends time confessing his sin. He confesses the sins of his father, not because he's responsible for the sins of his father, but he's basically saying, this was a, a broad prayer of saying, I confess my sins and the sins of my nation. He's like, we just want to get right with you, God. That's what we want. We just want to get right with you, God. And then Nehemiah sets out on this mission to rebuild the, the walls around Jerusalem. He's brokenhearted for this land that he loves, and he has this incredible compassion for a people that he loves. But here's what stands out to me. 
okay? And this is where it starts. You, you have to know that background. But this is one of those things I want you to, to leave here and not forget. He is brokenhearted over people that he doesn't even really know. I want you to let that set in your heart for a minute. He is this brokenhearted about a people he doesn't even really know, over a city that he has never visited, over a land that he's never seen. And to me, this is incredible. This is obviously something that God has put on his heart. This doesn't happen to us just naturally. This has to be a God thing. He, is, he has this burning desire, this compassion to reach out and help these people. And this, by the way, is how some people get called to the mission field. This is why it's always so awesome for me, anyway, to, to speak to a missionary. If you never get the opportunity to do that, if you ever have a missionary and you're someone you know or you, they're visiting somewhere, whatever, talk to them about how it, all, how, how it all began. Because many times, not always, but oftentimes God gives them this passion or this compassion for people that they've never met, for a city they've never visited, for a land they've never seen. And they can't explain it except that God has just done this in our heart. And you'll hear him refer to it as maybe God called us here. Sometimes people don't get that. It's, almost, it's just like almost too holy for people to really even understand. I want you to know it's truly part of Jen and I's story how we ended up in Wachula. We had never been here before. Had no idea Wachula even existed. And when we came, and it's too long of a story to go into all of it right now, but when we visited, we weren't even here visiting and interviewing for a position. It wasn't like we were looking for a job and, oh, this one was a... That's not even how it worked. We were coming here because we knew this church needed help and they needed some advice and they needed some input on youth ministry and and the future and and how to get things going and that's why we showed up here was to just kind of help give some advice and instruction we had no idea what god was going to do in our hearts while we were here that was just as much of a shock to us as anybody else but god gave us this compassion and this desire to come and help rebuild this church and reach the lost around this community a community again that we had no clue even existed prior to coming here in we'd had no family here there was no other reason but God. But when God puts it in your heart, you begin to have a desire to help and to reach out and to serve and to love people that you don't even really know. And yes, Nehemiah was part of the Jewish race. So some people would say, well, but Darren, in his story, you know, he would have had some patriotism because of the land of Jerusalem was a big deal to the Jews. It, it was. And yes, he had compassion because um, these were, would have been considered his people. But understand, he was willing to leave. It would have been very easy for him to just be content and to live his life as the cupbearer to the king in the citadel of Susa, that was a cush job. He was set for life. He didn't have to leave there. All his family, obviously, they stayed there. They were there. And he could have just not given any concern to what was happening back in Jerusalem. But, you know, he couldn't do that. He couldn't do that because this is a God thing in his heart. And those of you who understand this are those of you that God has done this in your heart and you get it and you're like, there's nothing I could do. It's not like I could have said no. It was like, God put this in my heart. And notice those words in verse three. It says, those who survived the exile are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. Great trouble and disgrace was more than the condition of the walls. It was the condition of the people. Nehemiah had a heart for people who were in great trouble and disgrace. And I want to make sure I say this so should the church. So should the church. God planted First Christian Church in Hardy County 109 years ago. 
to be the, a light in this community, to be a gathering place of people who would come together, who would love one another, who would worship together, who would encourage one another to go out and spread the gospel message. Church, the church should always have a heart for people who are greatly troubled and disgraced. If we don't have that, why are we doing what we do? Why are we even here? Now, I want you to see, I want to tell you what Nehemiah does in response to this stirring in his heart and his love for these people. Again, don't forget, these are people he's never even met. But this is what happens to him. This is what he does. He goes before the king. And, he goes, and he, when he comes before the king, the king notices something's different about you, Nehemiah. He obviously knew him well, saw him every day. He's like, there's, you're, you're, he even says, you, you look kind of sad. Like, you've never seen this before. Because first of all, you, would ne- you weren't supposed to go before the king and be anything but happy and joyful and willing to do whatever. And so the fact that he's already going before the king and the king can see something's different in his, in his countenance, he's like, what's going on? And so he expresses this, what God's put on his heart. And his, these people, yes, he's never met them, a place he's never been to, but he expresses what's happened in Jerusalem and, and how God is calling him to do something about this. And the king responds by just saying, listen, I'll do whatever I can do to help you. And it's, he just says, you need resources? Here you go. Nehemiah then leaves this comfortable job. Yes, he has these resources from the king. That he leaves his comfortable job, and now he first risks his life to go before the king. Now he risks his life going to Jerusalem, where he knows he's going to meet a bunch of opposition along the way. Gets there and sees for himself what's going on and how horrible it really is and what it looks like. And this cool story, how he then begins to organize these people, the Jews. He organizes all of them. He gets them together. He pours hope into them. They all come together. And again, there is a ton of opposition which again is another thing for us to understand and know and expect. Because anytime you do something big, and you've probably experienced this in your own life, there are going to be people who will mock you, people that tell you that you can't do it, even people that try to stop you from doing it. And if you think for a minute that what we're about to do and what we're trying to accomplish with this kids' building, that Satan's going to set by, back and just let it happen, you're crazy. There's already opposition. There's, Of course there's people that, that aren't in and don't believe and don't think and, and are questioning and they're, they're against it and they're, there's probably, you're probably going to either hear about that, see that, whatever. And Satan, I know, will even do what he always tries to do, which is pit us against each other. He wants to do anything he can to destroy anything good that's happening, especially because he knows what's going to happen when this does happen. He realizes the lives are going to be changed, the amount of people that are going to come to know the Lord. And so there's going to be opposition. And this is exactly what he faced. Nehemiah, Nehemiah faced all kinds of opposition. Literally, like, and not just with words. Like, they were trying to kill them. They literally says that they were, they were working with one sword, with a sword in one hand and then building with the other hand. That's, that's how ready they had to be at all times because the opposition was so great. And even in the midst and in the face of all that opposition, one of the coolest things is they accomplished this. They end up rebuilding the entire wall, all of it. In 52 days, they do something that no one, even themselves at times, thought was possible. These are the kind of things God does when, when we step out in faith. And that story still stands as a story that we still read today, gives us hope and inspiration in our own spiritual lives. And I want to, if, you, if you've disconnected from me already, or you have stopped listening, or you haven't really been in tune listening yet to, today, I, I want you just to gather yourself for a minute and hear this part. Because to me, this is probably one of the most important things I'm going to say. 
please hear me on this. The wall that Nehemiah was building, that all the Jews built, that, that amazing thing that they accomplished, the wall was not the ultimate dream. That's not what it was about. If you read the book of Nehemiah and you're like, that's a cool story about them building a wall in 52 days and that's cool that they could do that. It wasn't about, the wall was not the ultimate dream. Yes, it was something that God put in Nehemiah's heart to do, but God was doing, what he was doing was much bigger than a wall. The overall dream for the nation to respond to God's word and repent and restore their relationship with him, that's what, that's what it was all about. The wall was just a practical starting point, the thing that God used for his spiritual agenda. I want us to see the story. God uses that moment in time to bring the people together, for them to rely on him. And I hope you don't have to be real smart to see where I'm going with this, uh, with ourselves, right, church? I mean, the kids' world building is not the goal. It's not to have a cool, shiny, cool building and, and everybody goes, oh, wow, that's so nice, Wow. That's, that, is, that is not at all what this thing is about. It is a tool that God will use to draw us together, to draw adults and kids to him that we currently don't even know. Have we, have we thought about that yet? Have we even put any time into that? And I've been saying this to people. It's like, I'm not stupid. I understand that the majority, maybe the majority even of you today, the majority of our growth doesn't happen because people come here and they listen to me speak and they're like, oh my gosh, the preaching is phenomenal. That's why we can enter that church. I get that. I know that I'm the fourth, fifth, sixth level of the reason people come to the church. Most of the people that come here or where the families are coming from is because they hear about Kids World or they, want their, they hear that it's a great program for kids and they're learning about Jesus and they want their kids to be a part of it. And so they start there. And then, by the, then they may show up here. Sometimes they don't even show up here. They're like, Wednesday nights, kids, y'all, yeah, Sunday mornings you can go with some other your friends that go, go. And the parents don't even come yet. And then over time, maybe the parents decide, hey, you know what, maybe we'll try it out too. And then, yes, there's some cool moments where then even the parents sometimes are the ones that their lives get changed and they get saved. And, and so it, it starts there and ends up here, and that happens a lot. And I, I see that and I know that. And it's, if it's not Kids World, it's our youth ministry. There's so many other ways that God uses our church to bring people to him. So this campaign is not and cannot be about a building. That's right. It has to be about God's spiritual agenda to grow us and to reach the people around us with the gospel message or it's all in vain. What we're doing doesn't even matter. So when we read this story of Nehemiah, this incredible true Miracle story in history that's been preserved for you and I to read here today in 2023. And as we set out to build this, this, this our own building project, right? We're, we're, that's what we're doing with the blessing. And I like to look at it like this, the blessing of our king to provide us the resources that we need. I think it's super important that we remember three things today that I want you to remember. And I'm going to go through them quickly, but I want you to remember these. I want these three takeaways, these three things from this book of Nehemiah, the story of Nehemiah, and in the current moment that you and I find ourselves in. And here's the first thing I want us to pull from this, from verse 4 specifically. Our hearts should break for the broken and the lost. That's the first thing that should hit us this morning. Our hearts should break for the broken and the lost. When he says in verse 4, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept for some days, not for a few minutes, for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Church, we have to understand how important people are to God. I don't, I, I'm going to speak for myself. There's just times where this doesn't hit me like it should. 
we cannot forget or lose focus on the mission of the church. This place is so great, and it's so much fun, and it, I love coming here, and I love laughing with you and talking with you and eating with you in generations and, and studying the Word of God with you, worshiping through song with you, but it's the reason that God's brought us together is much bigger than that. Those are all bonuses. Those are all blessings of, of a church. But most importantly, you and I are brought together to go out to be a light into this community and win the lost. And there's a lot of lost people where we live, all around us. When's the last time that you sat down and even thought about the lost in and around our community that could be reached through this project? When's the last time you thought of it that way? Where it was like, wait a minute, so this, you're right there, and this isn't just, I mean, Yes, it's about the kids, and yes, it gives them more space, and yes, it allows them to teach the kids in, in a better way and bring in more kids, and that's all 100% part of this. But wow, I haven't really thought about what that could do, that tool in, in God's hands, what he would do and the amount of families he would bring. That It's not just the kids, but then it's, it's those little kids' brothers and sisters who are teenagers that end up coming, and then it's that family that mom and dad come, and they're here, and then the whole family gets saved, and because they're now following the Lord, they have people in their family that end up getting saved because of this, all because it started of something out here that we decided to be a part of. When was the last time we sat down and thought about the project like that, and we just kind of wept over the fact that, Lord, you have put us here right now for such a time as this together, and we need to be a part of this. Our hearts need to be breaking for the lost people that are in our community. And I'll tell you this, if you you say, well, I have sat down and I've thought about it, but it didn't really move me. I don't know. I didn't really didn't do a whole lot for me. I'm telling you right now, I think you, that calls for some serious reevaluation of your spiritual life. I understand that not every single person in the world is going to think this is a good idea or get behind it or whatever. That's all, that's all individual decisions we have to make. But to think that this somehow isn't a good thing or not to want to be a part of spreading the gospel message, doing something that's bigger than ourselves that we know God could use to do things that... Man, it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing that you and I get to be a part of, and we, we can't get excited about that. And the possibilities of lost people coming to the Lord, man, knowing that every single time that we sit in here and we see, whether it's a little one that comes and gives their life to the, to the Lord and gets baptized, or it's an, a mom or a dad or an aunt or an uncle or whatever, and being able to say, you know what? Because of what we did, God allowed us to be a part of something that he in turn used to call people to him. It, it doesn't get much better than that, church. So I, I pray that's, our, that's the first thing, just that our hearts would break for the broken and the lost in our community, and it would move us to the point where we want to do something. That's where Nehemiah was. Again, you, maybe you don't know him. Our hearts still break for them. Second one is this. Ask God for help. That man, verse 11, when he says that, he says, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. He's just praying and praying. Like I told you, 13 chapters, 12 prayers. He understands the power of prayer. We have to be asking God for help. We have to be praying for direction and wisdom and courage and faith. Because if without God doing that and showing up in our hearts of the Holy Spirit leading us, we won't do it. We won't have the courage to do it. We won't have the faith to do it. Which, by the way, you know, Weston was talking about it earlier, but a big part of our open house this afternoon 
is prayer. We believe this is such an important piece to this entire thing is for us to come together like we're going to do today at 4.30. We're going to come together. Yes, we're going to worship and we're going to answer some questions and we're going to, you know, try to get everybody on board the best we can. But a big part of what we're going to do is we're eventually going to go outside and we're going to be there around that area where the Kids World building is going to be built and we're going to gather in prayer and we're going to seek God and we're going to ask for His blessings. And as a people of God, as a church, there's probably nothing better that we could spend our time doing today than that. We're going to need God's help. We're going to need His resources and we're going to need to call on Him for it. And then the third thing is this, through the sacrifices of his people, God accomplishes his purposes. And we didn't have time to go through the whole book of Nehemiah, but specifically in chapters 11 and 12, you're going to see that. And I just would encourage you to go back and read the whole book on your own, because when you do, here's what you're going to see. You're going to see God using everyone, literally everyone, all these different Jews in so many unique ways to accomplish his purpose and it's beautiful as you see them and it, and it in detail describes different things they were in charge of and how they did it and how they built this section and they built this section and this group did this and this group did this and, and how they all had their own separate uh, ways of being involved church god does not want us to carry out his plan in isolation it's never been that way it's why he created the church and he purposefully blessed each one of us so that we can all have something to contribute. And this is why you've heard us say this over and over and over again. And I hope that it hit home, it hit home today, it is hit home today if it hasn't already. And that is just that simple little sentence of it's not about equal gifts, it's about equal sacrifice. God's blessed us all in different ways. But if all of us will sacrifice the same amount, and that amount is, is a great sacrifice like it should be, this happens because this is the way God set the church up to work. And to me, I don't know of a better story in Scripture to show that when we all contribute, things that we thought were impossible become reality. And the coolest part about it is God gets the glory. You know, sometimes I hear, you know, or I see, I should say, because we're human, I'm not trying to set up and act like my eyes haven't gotten big a time or two when I thought about $2.2 million. They do. They, they get, and you tell somebody that number in, in Hardy County right now, and their eyes are going to get a little big. You know what's great about that? Is they see it the same way we see it and feel it, which is this. Ain't no way that can happen unless God shows up. That's the best part about it, church. That's the best part about it, because if it happens, and I shouldn't say if it happens, when it happens, there's no way that our community is going to be able to look at this and go, well, man, well, of course, I know that church. They're going to say, wow, that's God. God's showing up, and God's going to take this, and God's going to do stuff with it that there's just, we're, we're never going to believe it. I, I really believe that. We're just going to keep going, my goodness, I knew it was, God would do some great things. I didn't know it was going to be this great. This is amazing. And to be able to be a part of it, God has given us an opportunity to be a part of this. That's special. That's exciting. And if this isn't something we want to get behind, if this isn't something we can't get behind, if this isn't something we feel like, which we all know this, right? Everything we've got is God's anyway, right? And so if this isn't something we want to give that's God's already back towards, which is 
growing his kingdom and, and caring about people that we currently don't even know exist. Maybe people that haven't even moved here yet. They don't even know this is a setup. They don't even know God's setting them up. They have no idea that God's about to call them. They're about to come to a community they've never seen, to a people they've never talked to before. And it's going to be because, and we've heard these stories, and I wish I had more testimonial time I could share them with you. People that just drove by or saw that there was something with Kids World happening or came to a VBS or, or heard one of you talk about it or whatever it was. And because of that, it changed their entire family. And that's going to happen. I believe that. Someone's going to drive by and they're going to see that building. They're going to go, what's that about? Wow, that's for the kids? Man, they must invest heavily in that next generation. They believe in that next generation and they're, they believe in God. That's awesome. We should check that out. And because of that, God's going to call them. And you and I, we shouldn't get this opportunity. But we're going to get the opportunity to go, God, thank you for letting me play this much of a part in it. It's so cool. Thank you that... That family that I didn't even know now because of, wow, God, thank you. Guys, I hope that's our heart and desire and that we'll do these three things. That those will be the things that we take from this today. And we'll sit down and we'll pray and you'll come this afternoon and you'll pray with us. And we'll just keep going to God and seeking his direction on this whole entire thing. I can't wait to see what happens and where it goes from here. Uh, I just know it's going to take all of us. And uh, I can't wait. Can't wait to be a part of it and join with you. Uh, in this. I'm going to pray and then uh, we're going to have a, a time of invitation as well.